everyone. I got so enthralled with watching all the squares pop up, I wasn't watching the clock very well. <clears throat> well, let's continue to open the space in which people are arriving uh, by sitting together um, for just a few minutes. Uh, to settle and connect. I also had a little bit of a disorientation as I saw each person come. It's like, now where am I? Am I still in England? Wait a minute, am I in Minneapolis? No, I'm in Madison. <laughs> where am I?
the unique breeze of reality. Can you see it? The unique breeze of reality, can you hear it? Continuously, continuously. Creation runs her loom and shuttle, weaving the ancient brocade. The weave is dense and fine. This weave, this life, this breath, this unique breeze, this moment is dense and fine. How can it even be spoken of? Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. It's wonderful to be back in this seat with all of you in this way. When I had the uh, Zoom's setting of the original sound off, you may have heard the unique breeze of reality, <laughs> uh, the strong winds that we're having, which I know you've also had in the UK, uh, maybe some other places. Some very, very powerful winds. Almost all of the references that I want to just touch on today as we invite our inquiry come from a Dharma talk that Josh gave when we were in retreat in the UK. You know how you see poetry? There'll be a title and it says, after Robert Frost or after, you know, Marie Howe, somebody, this is after Josh Gifford. <laughs> um, almost all the references are his, but of course the teachings stayed with me 
so I wanted to reflect on them further in this context because uh, that they began to speak to even uh, other meanings that I that maybe he brought in that time, and also uh, the original recording of his Dharma talk is a bit difficult to hear on SoundCloud. So I'm I'm not trying to repeat that, of course, because I can't. Um, but you'll hear some of these references that you might have have wondered about. So uh, I'm bowing to you, Josh, for your uh, your entreaty both. But some of these references are. Um, and the first one that I want to speak about is the dharma that comes from um, British television. Um, I, I didn't know anything about this particular regular show called The Repair Shop. Uh, some of you might know about it. I don't know. Uh, those of you in England do. Uh, I noticed in the United States on so the Discovery Channel, the tagline reads, nestled deep in the British countryside lies a workshop where broken, battered, and beloved artifacts, antiques, and curios are brought back to life at the repair shop. It's a lovely description. And Josh mentioned this and spoke about it. And then af afterwards, later in the day, he said, can I show you an episode? And so we sat together shoulder to shoulder on the sofa with the cats and with Trudy having her tea with us. And <clears throat> we watched a, a couple of the episodes that he called for. And uh, I turned to him at one point, I said, do you weep? with every episode? I said, pretty much. Uh, and it reminded me of, um, some of you were in inquiry in person in Austin uh, a, a number of years ago when I had, I was interviewed by a young man who's doing a, a documentary on um, Dharma in America. And he came to inquiry. He's from Los Angeles, a filmmaker. And as soon as we did our final chant and inquiry was finished. He spontaneously said into the room, is it always like this? <laughs> and everybody said, yeah, pretty much. Um, it was very touching, sometimes sentimental, of course, but uh, the participants in this show bring their treasured object to the workshop and they talk about it with the artisans and the craft people. And they let them know what the object means to them and what they hope can be accomplished by bringing it there. And usually, most often the treasured object um, belongs to a loved one, maybe a, a parent, a child, uh, some family member, often someone who's, who's passed away, who's died. And they tell stories about the people. And not only do you hear their stories, you see the impact on the artisans who are gonna receive. That's the thing I was fascinated by. You see how much it touches the people who are going to work on it. Uh, and the way the stories are held in the object. Uh, I was showing Aaron an example of it, and there was one where um, uh, Judy Dench, named Judy, brought a watch from her former husband. She's very, very dear. So the participants are often longing. They bring their longing. And they're searching for um, an intimacy with their lost loved one. And the craftspeople attune to each person and the story and the object. And they're asking some version of what would you like us to do? Or what would you like to see when we return this object to you? And they give various replies most of which could be summarized in one participant's response. Um, this is one that J Josh mentioned, and I think it's a good uh, sort of summary. The person said, I would like you to make it whole again, please. I would like you to make it whole again. 
one um, man in his 70s brought in a small uh, writing box, a box that held things for writing. He'd found in his loft after the death of his uh, beloved sister. And in it, he found letters and documentation explaining to him that the woman he knew as his sister was in fact his mother. And his parents were actually his grandparents. And he brought the box in for its restoration. So the participants entrust the possession to the repairers with all the feeling that comes with this. And I, I, I think Josh brought it forward, and certainly I felt the immense impact of, of this is the way we entrust ourselves to the practice and to each other. When we come online, when we enter the Zendo, we meet each other in a class, in a practice discussion, longing to be made whole. Or better still, I think, to discover what wholeness is and how to embody it. In the, in the show, you see the great care and attention and love uh, which the restorers um, take with whatever art or jewelry or book or clock or whatever it is. Uh, one episode that Josh showed me, they were restoring a wooden horse, you know, like a hobby horse that kids would be on, which had been a prized possession for the children in one family. And um, it was thought that a beloved father who had died, his name was written under the saddle, which was attached to the horse. And so as the, the woman who had been... Uh, an equestrian most of her life who made saddles and was the one who's going to remake the saddle. When she opened it, she found the, the man's name written there and the date in which it was written. And she began to weep because she had lost her husband to cancer. Uh, so you see in this example, or many of them, there's this beautiful weaving of grief and celebration with each object that it brings. Similar to this wonderful ceremony that Lori and Robin offered just last week in which these two elements of the brocade are woven in communal ceremony of celebration and grief. Celebration and grief. Probably the, if someone asks you, what's the essence of Soto Zen, you know, in contrast to other forms of Buddhism and other Zen, this is what you tell them. It's simply taking care of things. And ceremony. It's true. People talk to me about going to the monastery and meditating all the time. You don't meditate all the time. You work all the time. You take care of everything. You sit in the morning. You sit in the evening. But most of the time is in caring for things and each other. That's why work practice is so important. And in doing so, we learn to care for each other. This practice invites and makes clear the care and attention. We practice when we simply step into the zendo or into the kitchen or into our own living room at home or when we get in the car and enter traffic or go into our workplace. We discover what it is to remember, to cherish each other and everything and to treat each other in this kind and generous way. Just like we come together now and engage in this sort of ceremony of coming online with each other. And we can do it every day through our practice to express this, uh, you know, what Joko called ordinary wonder And as we do, then the verse that I 
mentioned in my email and, and repeated a bit um, as we're sitting comes to mind. It's a uh, a verse that follows a, a koan case in the Blue Cliff Record number 92 or the first in the Book of Serenity. These are two um, um, classical uh, collections of koans. So the one that I, I think I put in the email, the unique breeze of reality. Can you see it? The unique breeze of reality. Can you hear it? Continuously. Creation rums her loom and shuttle, weaving the ancient brocade, incorporating the forms of spring. As the woof goes through the warp, the weave is dense and fine. One continuous thread comes from the shuttle. How can this even be spoken of? on the same day as causes, fault, or no cause. I'm going to go back and speak about some of these things. Uh, another um, shorter um, translation of this poem, or this verse, that you see more commonly goes like this. The unique breeze of reality, do you see it? Continuously, creation runs her loom and shuttle, weaving the ancient brocade incorporating the forms of spring, but nothing can be done about Manjushri's leaking. And I'll talk about Manjushri and his leak in a moment. <laughs> You'll understand what this is about. But what is this unique breeze of reality? This one continuous thread that's raveling and unraveling. That's raveling and unraveling. As we sat in the warm library in front of the fire in Scotland, I would watch uh, uh, Sophie working to put in a sleeve on a, she was knitting. Uh, if you were in the UK, she was knitting a jumper. If you're in the United States, she's knitting a sweater. <laughs> um, and you would see sometimes you'd have to unravel and take away things and then put it back. But this is how it is for all of us, isn't it, all the time? We all, most of us are familiar with William Stafford's poem, The Way It Is, which begins, is a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. The unique breeze of reality. It's one continuous thread. Life, death, breath after breath. We create, we destroy. We come forward, we slip away, raveling and unraveling. One continuous thread comes from the shuttle. The unique breeze. The unique quality and meaning of each moment of our lives and each other. There's a famous quote from old sutras where Maitreya Buddha says, because just as every drop of water in the ocean has one taste of salt water, one taste, so every phenomena is of one taste within natural emptiness. So we talk about the uniqueness and we talk about the oneness form and emptiness, weaving the ancient brocade. And then there's that line, how could this be spoken of on the same day as false cause or no cause? And I think this is a really important line for us now in our sanghas. How could this beautiful understanding of reality and the great care that we take with this ancient brocade, how could it be argued about? And are our arguments and our fights with each other going to clarify anything? How could it be spoken of on the same day as faults cause, F-A-U-L-T-S, cause of fault? We think we know what's wrong. We think we know what's right. And then we get caught in form. But then the same sentence, how could it be spoken of on the same day as no cause? 
oh, it's all one, it's all fine, it's all empty anyway. Then we're caught in emptiness. We get caught by turning away. We get caught by grasping and fighting with each other. And the Shin Shin Ming reminds us the great way is not difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. Let go of longing and aversion. Everything will be perfectly clear. It goes on and on. The more you think about these things, the farther you are from the truth. And some of us have gotten very caught up in this, you know. The line, nothing can be done about Manjushri's leaking. Um, maybe I should tell you the koan so you understand what that reference is. Here, here's the koan. It's called the world honored one, that's Buddha, ascends the seat. Okay. One day, the world honored one, Shakyamuni Buddha, ascended the podium. Like he's going to give a Dharma talk. And Manjushri, who's the attendant, he wraps the gavel and says, clearly observe the Dharma of the Dharma king. The Dharma of the Dharma king is thus. And then Shakyamuni Buddha got off the podium and walked away. That's the whole thing. This, the first time I was in a mountain seed ceremony, which is the installation of an abbot, San Francisco Zen Center, Norman Fisher, and Huichu Suzuki, who Suzuki Roshi's son, was there uh, as the most senior attendant from Japan, and he played the role of Manjushri from this koan. So there's an octagonal pillar that stands about waist high, and then there's, looks like a ball, but it's faceted like a jewel, it's wood that sits on this wooden thing. And then there's a lovely drape that covers it, pulls the drape off. He grabs that piece of wood in this amazingly loud voice, Huitsu invokes Manjushri in Japanese. Well, I don't know what it was saying. And he was basically saying this koan. Now hear the Dharma of the Dharma King because the new abbot was coming and strikes this thing. It makes a huge noise. And this is what he was enacting. Sometimes it's called the striking the emptiness. So back to what can be done about Manjushri's leaking. The Buddha didn't say anything. He got, he got on the rostrum and then he got down. Leaking is a reference to something called Asavas in, in Buddhism and uh, the Abhidharma, which means outflows or defilements, something that flows out of the mind as projections. And we're always, each one of us, caught up in our projections um, almost all the time, especially our thoughts and feelings about other beings, how they should be, how they shouldn't be. Nothing can be done about this reality. It's what we live with as humans. But how do we navigate? and work with this thread, this loom, this unique uh, breeze of reality. Right here, I ascend the podium. Right? And then later I'll get down. I'll sign off. So do you. So does Josh or Lori, Joel or Trudy. On and on. You know, Pesh gave a wonderful Dharma talk. He ascended the podium and then he got down. Nate, Ann, Todd, Jessica, Kim, Shish, John, Eric, you know, Robin and Lori led this beautiful ceremony. Peg from Chicago, Suzanne from Madison, Josh and Trudy from the UK. Any number of Sangha members uh, giving their uh, way seeking mind talk, like Rose Marie just did, and many others. We're telling our stories by take, taking the seat getting down from the seat and about how how we found this practice and what this practice means to us this is the way that the dharma arrives and this is what this koan is talking about not about the words buddha doesn't speak he arrives fully and leaves fully and basically manjushri is saying do you see it 
Do you hear it? He says, in the, in the poem, it says, clearly observe. Maybe seeing the teacher, at least in the Buddhist case, was enough. But when we come online, when we see each other, sometimes that's enough, isn't it? But what are the real questions? What are your real questions? Like, how is the Dharma transmitted? How does it get to us? And goodness knows we all have opinions and preferences about how we wish it to arrive. Even when I get messages that says, are you doing inquiry this week? I'm happy to answer, but part of me winces. We have opinions about who brings it to us and what style. And then we have to practice with disappointment, loss, perceived rejections, fear. There's another case that Josh brought forward, which I really love. Um, I've heard it many times. It's in the Blue Cliff Record number nine, 52. Um, the monk asked uh, Joshu, which uh, we kind of joke about Joshu and Josh, Joshi. Jo the monk asked Joshu, who apparently had just arrived, you know, and he'd heard about this guy. And he says, for a long time, I've heard of this stone bridge of Joshu. But now that I've come here, I just see a simple log bridge. And Joshu said, you just see the log bridge. You don't see the stone bridge. And the monk said, well, what's the stone bridge? And Joshu said, it lets asses cross and it lets horses cross. It's the same for our, the Sangha. For a long time, I've heard of the Sangha Apamata, but now that I come here, I just see a simple house on an ordinary street with people. Yeah, you see the house. You even see the arguing and the Do you see the temple? What is the temple? Where is the temple? The place where we stumble along together, crossing and crossing across together, being made whole together because we cherish each other. And we cherish this practice bridge. This is the place where we help each other recover our wholeness and learn what wholeness actually is rather than trying to follow our projections and ideas about it. Everyone's always crossing. The unique breeze of reality, everyone's always crossing in our own way. And you can choose to act primarily for yourself and have it your way or choose to act for the benefit of others, which includes yourself. And because these decisions are often so small sometimes and happen so frequently, um, it's hard for us to see. The same is true of compassion, you know, day by day. By the way, yesterday was the uh, International Day of Kindness. About choosing. And day by day, we choose. We can act from compassion or kindness, or we can act selfishly, caught in the self-centered dream. And every single time we choose, we carry forward our ability to choose again and again, maybe with a bit more wisdom, and clarity if we practice well and listen to each other. But because some, we're human, sometimes we choose selfishly. And sometimes we choose in a less self-referenced way and we're more free. Sometimes we choose compassion and kindness and sometimes we don't. But reality still flows. Reality still flows. The stone bridge is always there. So I think what we need to see here from the story about Buddha and Majushri, clearly observe, clearly observe. 
we practice to have a clearer view, more attuned attention. Manjushri was calling for in the first koan. And then in the second story with Joshu, we observed that the, the horse and the ass, the donkey, both of which cross the bridge of reality, are not two separate kinds of people, but the horse and ass reside in each of us. Same person. And sometimes we're one, and sometimes we're the other one. Sometimes we act in this way, and sometimes the other. And even so, the unique breeze of reality, can you see it? The unique breeze of reality, can, can you hear it? It's not as simple as just one thing leads to another. Um, weave is dense and fine. One continuous thread comes through the shuttle. To be skillful and weave beautifully, you have to completely absorb the tradition that you're in rather than trying to make it. It's not a matter of you doing it right or rewriting the tradition. It's a matter of embodying it. And this is our repair shop. This is where we bring the most vulnerable, precious, tender aspects of ourselves and our lives, offering ourselves to each other and the hope to be made whole. And to discover what wholeness is beyond our preferences and anything we could even imagine or describe in words. In the repair shop, almost always at the end, they will say, it's better than we thought. And we're not talking about patchwork therapy here, however skillful and necessary psychotherapy might be, it's useful. But this is the embodiment of a sacred path handed down from our ancestors who were just people like us that look like a log bridge longing for their own wholeness and embodying a profound gratitude and humility. And this might be what wholeness looks like in human form. The unique breeze of reality. Can, can you see it? Look on the screen. The unique breeze of reality. Can you hear it? Not in my words, but in everyone's words. So if you want to bring something to the table in the repair shop, <laughs> come forward, please. And thank you once again, Josh, for your beautiful prompts for this. And I, now you hear my, my responses to these things. Hi, Flint. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to share a little repair um, situation. Um, so I was in a meeting, Appamata, and um, in a situation where we're working on something to try and help help things. And uh, we are co-writing something. And um, I had written something. And everybody was giving me your input. And I'm, putting the edits in and um, one of the participants said, well, you know, um, let's take this out. And I went, well, well, I disagree. And, and it was getting, I could feel it was getting contentious. The other person wiser than me said, well, I'm not gonna debate it. I go, oh, that's, that's really good. So we let it go. But I thought, what was I clinging to there? And I called, her and said, look, you know, we really got into it there. And for my part, I'm really sorry. You know, like it didn't make any sense. And, um, you know, it just got uh, heated over like what, you know, clinging and, and um, 
Yeah, it's very hard when when um, well, it's it's very helpful, I should say, to have these situations because you then you recognize, oh, I see, there's a self-centered dream. There's, and you made the practice turn from trying to be right to the backward turn. Where am I? The question you ask, where am I caught? That's the practice turn. You, the stuff you can solve, but if you don't understand the practice turn of where am I caught, then uh, you're not practicing deeply. So that's, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a heal, healing thing to, yeah. to get in touch. Thank you. And thank you, Josh. Healing, the healing goes beyond you that way. <clears throat> thank you. We have Robin. Hello, Flint. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, when you're walking in the central Texas woods, maybe other places, but, um, and you realize in the wood really close by, there's a whole bunch of deer they suddenly, you can see them and they're grazing and you get to see them and everything's okay. But sooner than you would like, very suddenly, one of them is spooked and hears something or smells you and lifts its head up and lifts its ears up. And then that one springs off magically and then a couple others and then suddenly they're all gone. Humans are like that. And per usual, I'm asking a question that I feel I kind of know the answer to, but it's always nice to hear it from you, um, which is, you know, in that situation, deer have a reason to be afraid. People um, shoot them. I mean, not in the places I'm encountering them. Um, but um, among our own Sangha members, when change happens, when the kind of conflicts that Rosemary mentioned, but they aren't that important step she pointed to and you pointed out doesn't happen and the conflict just, you know, sort of continues unresolved, um, then I observe that we can kind of be like those deer where we kind of catch this sort of fear or uncertainty or doubt from one another. And then we spring away in some form or fashion, either literally or just, you know. And so how can I and those of us here today be the magical deer that don't actually exist that um, in the deer world, so we'll come over to the, the human world that says, it's okay. stay don't go away or take care of yourself but come back soon good answer well, it was true it's heartfelt and it's yeah you can feel it as you say it we have the ability um if one is spooked the next one is spooked and then suddenly everybody's springing away it's that contagion of, but to have a voice that says, I know you're scared. That's one thing we have that's different. I know you're afraid. So am I. Let's be together while we're afraid instead of just uh, have the primal protectiveness. I understand it. And you might need to do it for a little while, but we can do, we have something else as possible. When we were in the Highlands in Scotland, it was, I was thinking of movies I've seen where there's like, you know, Queen Elizabeth or something and she's out there at Balmoral and you look up on the top of the ridge and you see this stack. It's really like that there too. And the deer would watch us from a long way away, you know. Wow. Sometimes oh, it's supposed to be close and sometimes far away, but you're, the imagery you're talking about is very apt. And we get to turn to each other and say, I know you're afraid. That's That's one difference. I am too. Let's let's find our way being afraid and hurt 
and confused together. Your words are helpful because I think my tendency and maybe the tendency of some of the other members of our herd is um, the human herd that is, is that we immediately go to our logic and we try to talk someone out of what they're feeling. <laughs> but your words of just, um, yeah, okay. I see you, I hear you, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Instead of trying to uh, either convince someone of something that isn't the case, so you'll feel more comfortable actually, or to reorder or restructure something organizationally to see if it will go away. That might be something that comes later, but first you have to say, I know. Thank you. Thank you. We have Clayton. Hi, it's so wonderful to be back at Inquiry. I haven't been here in like a year, which is crazy and um, such such good medicine. And Robin, I love that metaphor. Um, and I felt that locking eyes with a beautiful deer when I was in the Zendo on Sunday, because it'd been so long since I'd been there for Sunday service that I was uncertain about when to go up to the altar and bow. So I was watching and Jessica, I locked eyes with Jessica and she locked eyes with me and she just gave me this nod. And it was like the most beautiful, intimate reassurance. And um, it's so magical that we have a space where these unspoken gestures of love and tenderness get a chance to show themselves. Um, so my question, Flynn, is just like being back at the Zendo, um, there was so much joy and beauty and intimacy that I'm starving for all the time because out in the real world, sometimes I forget how to be intimate and just relax. I'm more, I'm more like one of those deer but I felt that there, I felt like I could relax and I could make eye contact with Anne when Rupesh had us go off in pairs to talk about the beautiful song. Um, so all this beauty is unfolding and there's the bumpy stuff of not knowing how everything's supposed to be going as we adjust to self-organizing and, um, can't like I don't feel like the bumpy stuff at all takes away from the extreme gift and beauty of of Jessica locking eyes with me of um a good hug from Rupesh like they they are they're both there and I don't feel like I, I feel like they can coexist pretty well and yeah, is that is that is that just me being Pollyanna me and wanting to not deal with conflict because it's scary and I don't know how, you know, or so I, am I just seeing that because I want to feel it or is that really the way it is? Clayton, trust yourself. When you saw what you saw and felt what you felt, was that true? Uh, to the core. And when you have your doubts and your fears, is that true? Yes, but they feel less important than the walk of love. Don't evaluate them. Is, is it a true feeling at that time? You feel afraid or mad or something? Yes. Yes. All of that is happening at the same time. That's the ancient brocade. That's what gets woven. That's the breeze of reality. It includes all of that. Our practice includes. It doesn't divide. It doesn't sort out. It makes a larger space so all of it can flow together because that's that's the weave that we live in. And, and even though people may say, oh, we have this problem or that problem, when you walk in the Zendo, that magic is right there. And does it take away from the other? No, there's still problems to solve, sure. But do those problems stop 
the longing that wants to happen, that wants to come forward so strongly that you can't stop it when you're together. Count on that. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Because I just want to make sure I'm not using that as some kind of spiritual bypassing for not communicating or seeking a positive, doable path forward through conflict. Well, it's only a spiritual bypass if it is. (laughs) If you're using it that way, it's a spiritual bypass. But if you're not, if you're doing it with full awareness, then that's the larger container of feeling the love and the care and all that longing for to be made whole. At the same time as you realize, well, it's kind of tough, you know? All of it's true at the same time. That's the more mature response, the more mature vessel that we're making for each other. All right. You can make it through. Absolutely. I have no doubt. We are. And this is the way it looks. This is the unique breeze of reality. And and I think one of my practice edges is paying attention to if I am avoiding using my voice or doing the hard work because I just want to sit in the zendo and absorb all the love, you know. Both. And because you're asking that question, that's what makes, I have some confidence in what you're saying is because you asked the question. Okay. You're saying, oh, I, don't, I better pay attention to this. Observe clearly, Manjushri said, observe clearly both things, not trying to find a side. All right. Well, it's great to be here with you. Thank you so much. And. <laughs> Uh, Josh and Trudy. Back to the source. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my heart is is very full, Flint. And um, I was, of course, aware that you were going to uh, create something from the talk that I I offered. Um, and um, I'm I'm amazed that you've created something so fresh and um, beautiful and true, um, a kind of unique expression of your own weave, and um, it it's really impressed upon me how there's always more. There's always more depth more learning and from the talk that i've heard from you the way you've taken it to your you know your studio and you've created a completely fresh song from those ingredients so i'm deeply deeply grateful and um i've learned so much from from it from something that was very intimate for me and it feels more more intimate having heard your talk so thank you so much one of the beautiful ways that we um, sing and dance or weave or Mm. together because i felt that same depth and freshness and beauty when you were giving your talk Mm. those references moved in a different way and it's that that liberating intimacy that connection Mm. which reverberates um, mm. and Trudy and I've been playing with just an idea but but that that image from the song of the jewel mirror Samadhi where it says when man begins to sing the stone woman gets up to dance it's like there's things that seem solid or seem like one way they're brought to life by the interaction you know mm. Are, are you two feeling better physically? <laughs> you still having the cough? I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm worried about you. I, I got home and my sister called me and said, oh, I have COVID. Oh, uh, I take care of my mom. So anyway. Oh, 
Um, anyway, <laughs> thank you both for all of the wonderful care that you offered. And while I was there, just the, each place when I was in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, it was the same. It was so beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful to be cared for by so many wonderful people. And thank you for being with us. <laughs> you know, I'm. We just have a couple of minutes, but there's another thing that you put in your talk about. Um, there is no author. Yep. Remember that piece from Judith Reutemann, that wonderful Buddhist teacher? Mm. And she said, everything, um, here's a quote, there is no author. Everything we write, everything we say is drawn from innumerable sources. We don't own any of it. We only arrange it. Mm. <laughs> that arranging is important. Yeah. Uh, and she said, realizing the Dharma invites an intimacy with the ancients and with each other. Mm. These words are shoots, but unless they're rooted, and this is our rooting, this is what we're doing right now, here with each other, mm. and the texts don't have any truth, and it's the community's truth that comes forward. Mm. But that's what we're living. So, see, we could continue. It just keeps on going. <laughs> 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 thank you very much but now we're going to chant so thank so you. much <laughs> ah, and now reflect on our four practice principles and the way that we've been speaking about them caught in the self-centered dream only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream each moment life as it is the only teacher being just this moment compassion's way caught in the self-centered dream only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream each moment life as it is the only teacher being just this moment compassion's way caught in the self-centered dream only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream each moment life as it is the only teacher being just this moment compassion's way thank you everyone Thank you so much, Flint. It's so good to see you. And thank you all for being here. And um, Apamada is um, supported fully through your generosity. So if you'd like to offer dana, please do go to apamada.org and you'll find a place there to contribute towards Flint and to the other teachers and facilities at Apamada. But thank you all so much for being here and hope you feel better soon, Trudy. And I recommend the repair shop. It's, it's really good. <laughs> thank you all. And oh yes, and if you'd like to stay for a further 30 minutes, then please do join myself and others on the porch. Just pop yourself into gallery view and I'll be right with you. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm.